So they took Jesus and He went out bearing His own cross to the place called the Place of the Skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified Him and with Him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic and in Latin and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but rather, This man said, I am the King of the Jews. <laughs> Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom, so they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, who fulfilled the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was the high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth. That you may also believe. For these things took place that the Scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones was broken. And again, another Scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. It was over. Jesus said it himself, didn't he? It is finished. Nicodemus and Joseph obviously believed it. 
They treated his body like any good Jew would that of a departed friend or family member. The soldiers knew it. They checked it out. They were professional executioners. He had bled internally so extensively that his blood was coagulated. Pilate trusted them and knew Jesus was dead and Jesus' primary human antagonist, the chief priest, believed it was over. They wanted to get rid of the spectacle of the bodies on the crosses before the big day. It's one thing to want somebody dead. It's a whole other thing to upset the populace. (laughs) And besides, they didn't want that sign, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. (laughs) They didn't want that up there for everybody to see. But even John and Jesus' own mother knew it was over. Why else would Jesus need to assign John the task of caring for his mother? Hell had gotten what it wanted. Jesus had been sacrificed. Jesus was dead. No more Jesus running around getting people's hopes up. No more disrupting the status quo, you know, the way things are. And the truth is, Satan had an even stronger grip on the chief priests, on the Jewish people, on the world, than he had ever had. And Jesus' body grew cold in a stone tomb. So what did the Father mean when he told Isaiah, Behold, my servant shall act wisely? Wisely? He's dead! <laughs> Look at what he said next. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and His form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall He sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of Him. Why? For that which has not been told them they see and that which they have not heard they understand. Seven centuries earlier, Isaiah knew what would happen. And he knew how hard it would be for people to believe what he had to say. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Now, where's the wisdom? Where's the good in this? Well, that comes next. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. (laughs) We all have iniquity. We all do evil. And the iniquities of us all are taken off us and placed on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, 
Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked, with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Amazing, really. God allowed Isaiah somehow to see this ahead of time. So can you imagine Isaiah's shock when he realized this truth? Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. (laughs) The Father allowed the Son to be killed. First, can you not hear his pain? A dad buys his son a motorcycle and the son dies riding it. Does he not cry out, I've killed my son! It's my fault! And yet, his actions are just a part of the chain of events that led to his son's death. But with this father, God the Father, it must have been an even greater pain. For he knows all things. He knew the pain Jesus would suffer in exquisite detail. Why would he do it? Why would he allow this to happen, even cause it? That is to say, why did God set up a chain of events that inevitably led to it, to Jesus' death? Well, Isaiah again reveals the plan clearly. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Kind of goes back to that a bit, doesn't he? (laughs) Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Well, the death of Jesus was horrific, but it's the basis of our redemption and of his even greater glory. Isn't that really clear from what Isaiah says? So why? Why would Satan enlist Judas and the priests and Pilate And all those people to kill Jesus. Why would he do it? And I remember, Satan knows the Scriptures better than we do. In any language you want, he can quote everything. Didn't he realize what would happen? I like the Apostle Paul. He explains it well. But we impart, we meaning himself, impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Satan knew what the word said. But he still put all his effort into getting Jesus crucified. And and the chief priests did too. So what does Paul mean when he says they didn't understand? 
Well, they've never seen a love like this before. They've never heard of someone loving like this before. Their hearts can't even imagine a love this strong. Someone who will give himself up for those he loves. Love that will suffer and die for a bunch of sinning, imperfect, weak, mortal humans. But God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, determined before any of the ages of this universe, before there was a universe, to allow this suffering, this death. You think this is incredible? You're not alone. Concerning this salvation... The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The prophets, Isaiah, wanted to understand what this suffering and the glories that would follow it meant. Angels are still trying to understand it. So let's not fool ourselves, Peter says. We must think clearly and seriously about the great gift we will have in full when Jesus comes again. All of which brings us to one of the great questions. Why does God allow suffering? Even great suffering. Well, Joseph knew. You may have heard the story. His brothers were going to kill him out of jealousy. And these are grown men now. Instead, they come up with this opportunity to make some money by selling him as a slave, so they do that. Joseph ended up getting lied about. His morality was called into question. He was thrown into prison. And the very one that he helped there in prison forgot about him and left him to rot in prison. But God was with him, and he, through an amazing series of events, ends up second in command in the whole kingdom, which at that time ruled the world. And eventually, years later, his brothers end up under his control. You could say, at his mercy. And they're not sure how Joseph will react. I mean, they did sell him as a slave. And they don't understand him any better than the chief priests understood Jesus. So he tells them, don't worry, guys. As for you... You meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You see, every evil God allows, He will bring a good out of that far surpasses the evil. In fact, the eternal good is so great that we will actually thank Him for what we've gone through here. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. God the Father let His Son suffer and die so that we could have this living hope. And next week, we're going to talk about what that hope is in greater detail. But today, I want to point out one more aspect of what Jesus did. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. That through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. When Jesus died and rose again, he destroyed Satan. But Jesus didn't come to destroy Satan. He came to set us free. Destroying Satan was necessary to achieve that greater goal. I mention this because of another truth about the resurrection of Jesus we need to consider. For Jews demand signs. And Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. You know, there are Jews and Greeks to this day. <laughs> You've seen them. Jews who demand signs. If God really is real, then He would do this, that, the other, something. And no matter what you show them, it's not enough. I mean, the man rose from the dead. Okay, <laughs> How much more do you need, right? I mean, he did the impossible. And then there are the Greeks. They always think they're going to figure it out. One of my favorite lines of this mindset is, whatever the mind of man can conceive, it can achieve. You know, yeah. Wake up and smell the coffee. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> it doesn't work. You know, and I love science. I, I, I believe logic to be one of our greatest assets. Great stuff. But we're never really going to figure it out. Why was the death of Christ both necessary and, by the way, superior to His not suffering and dying? Did you know Christ suffering and dying is superior to him not suffering and dying. Uh, and then there's this. I, I have an answer I'm satisfied with, but we're never really going to understand human suffering. At least, not till we reach our eternal home. So, first, let's not be too hard on the Jews and Greeks because well, we don't get it either, to be honest. <laughs> and remember, the goal is to introduce people to Jesus Christ and His Word. Uh, so, let's not let those weird side issues... But, it all really boils down to the question that the angels asked the women at the tomb that first Easter morning. Why are you seeking the living among the dead? <laughs> He's not here, but has risen. Jesus is alive. Now, right now, today, He's alive. And we need to preach Christ crucified and risen again. Everything else is fine-tuning. You know, I love fine-tuning. <laughs> I love Bible study. I love theological training. All those things that draw us ever closer to God, I love those. But the core of everything is the truth that Jesus is alive. 
So here we are. Do you trust the Father enough to believe that Jesus' suffering was the best thing that could happen? Not because it was good in itself, but because it led to a great good. And then how about a really serious one? Do you trust the Father enough to believe that your suffering is the best thing that could happen? Not because it's good in itself, but because it would lead to a great good. Do you trust the Father enough to believe that the suffering of your loved ones, what they're enduring, maybe right now, is the best thing that could happen to them? I mean, the suffering of the whole world. It's like this. Hell did not mean to. (laughs) It didn't. But hell gave us a gift when it saw Jesus crucified. Hell didn't mean to do Jesus or us or anyone any good. Like now, when hell attacks us. But God did. Jesus suffered for us because of His great love. Eh, Maybe we can trust Him enough to set everything else aside and believe that His love, His sacrifice for us is enough and make it through the suffering we have. Father, what a strange plan. You should send your son down to become human first, to add that human nature to who he is for the express purpose of suffering and dying and then raising again. To save us who didn't care and were your enemies when you did it. But it is the way you work. And for some reason, it's the best thing for us. Our suffering is the best thing for us. Huh. Don't always know how to do that. Don't know how to work with it. Don't really understand it. But, well, you said so, so I guess we trust you. Help us to understand it. Help us to to live it to the point where our suffering maybe helps somebody else. Maybe we can be in that little way like Jesus. Don't know, but we certainly thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.